You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. All right, here we go again. Welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. I apologize that uh, this week's episode was put out a day late, but it's going to be well worth it. We have Steve Wiseman back on the podcast today. The dude's been hunting for over 40 years, specifically ducks and geese, and uh, that's who's back on the podcast. We're going to be talking about all things waterfowl in the great state of Iowa, especially what's going on right now this time of year what the ducks are doing what the geese are doing how you should hunt them where you should hunt them what you should do if there's ice on the water versus not ice on the water and it's just a great hodgepodge of an episode where we talk a little bit about everything and even close to the end of the podcast um, I start prodding Steve a little bit about his memories as a waterfowl hunter some of his favorite memories he shares a couple uh cool stories with us and uh that's what today's podcast is all about uh i'm not gonna bog you down with me just chit-chatting all the time we're gonna let steve do most of the talking on today's episode but uh, if you haven't already please go over to iowasportsman.com they have a ton of great articles on their website and they have a link to where you can subscribe to the magazine as well. Lots of great content on that magazine. I actually used to be a contributor uh, back in the day, uh, and now I'm doing the podcast. But lots of great content about all types of hunting and fishing in the great state of Iowa. So uh, go give that a try. But without further ado, let's get into today's Waterfowl Podcast with Steve Wiseman. All right, back on the podcast for a second time, we're joined by Mr. Steve Wiseman. How you doing, man? I'm very good. So today's topic is waterfowl hunting in Iowa, and we're going to cover ducks and geese and a little bit of everything. Uh, It's going to be a very general podcast, uh, talk about some strategy and whatnot, but most importantly, have you had time to get out into the marshes and wetlands and uh, crop fields to uh, do some hunting. Yeah, yes, we have up here in in northwest Iowa. Probably other parts of Iowa, there were a lot of fields that were flooded, and uh, that held a lot of the birds. The regular sloughs did not have nearly as many birds on them as normal. And if and if you could find a CRP field that was flooded or a cornfield that was flooded, uh, you would have it was just kind of like a magnet yeah. for these ducks. Now, it, 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 there were small areas, so it might be a day or two that you would get to shoot these birds, and then they were gone. Right. But that was that was one great thing, and uh, there has been some <clears throat> really good field hunting 
for both ducks and geese. And up here in, in the northern part of the state, until this cold front came, and it's kind of locked everything up. Even here in, in northwest Iowa, uh, the north end of East Okaboji is frozen. The smaller lakes are frozen. So you've got ducks and geese that are now sitting on the ice or have gone to the bigger waters to, to sit in the open water, or they went to the rivers gotcha. uh, in the backwaters and stuff like that. And my grandson had an excellent hunt there for mallards and pintail uh, when that cold, last cold front came through. <clears throat> I couldn't go, but he went with a with a buddy of his and, and the buddy's dad, and they had a wonderful shoot. He even shot a, a drake pintail, male pintail, that um, he's going to have mounted. It was that pretty of a bird. Wow. Wow. So we, we've had we've had some good hunting, um, but again, like I say, you you had to have been on these types of bodies of water or little sheet water yeah. uh, to to have success. But that's changed now. All of those are locked. Yeah, you know, and and so now that begins to change up here. Right. So let me go back to this comment you made about the you know these flooded cornfields or bean fields or whatever. Does that make hunting easier or harder when the water's up in and i guess what you would call a flood stage here's the answer to that if you have access to that private land it makes it way better if you don't then you get to watch from the road and see them dropping in yeah, yeah. <laughs> because lots of that happens on private private property but uh, uh we found over the years that <clears throat> landowners <clears throat> are really pretty pretty good about opening up and, and letting you go out there unless they're harvesting that field or something like that. Right, right. So so so, uh, it, so, it's, it, so in your experience, it's somewhat easy. If, you, if you're driving down the road and you're a duck hunter or a goose hunter and you see a field with a ton of geese or, or ducks in it, um, it might be worthwhile for you to stop and knock on it, try to find out who that landowner is, knock on the door and try to get permission. Right. I think so. Yes, I, I really do. Um, and, and that can be easy and that can be hard, too, depending on if they're absentee landowners. Mm-hmm. It, there are a lot of absentee landowners, and then you got to figure out who's farming it. Right. And so, you know, if you get a plot map or something like that, then you're able to kind of figure out who it is. Of course, if it's in your local area, you probably know the people anyway or who they are, <clears throat> you know, and you can you can go from there. But by the same token, there's been some really good hunting. There was really good hunting on some of the sloughs and stuff before. When the migration started to come through, um, there were nice nice days of of some good hunting. Um, Again, there's still lots of birds that are up in Minnesota, that are up in the the Dakotas. Whether they'll just, and they've kind of locked up as far as the water goes up there. But if there's not a lot of snow or anything like that, and they can get their food, uh, they'll, they'll stick around. And so there might be two or three hundred thousand uh, snow geese, say, up in Sand Lake in in South Dakota, that haven't even thought about moving further south. You know, they, they'll run the river and the western border down, and they'll go through Desoto Bend, you know, which is which is a great refuge here on the western border, and then further down. It, it it takes the weather to move them unless they just finally decide it's time. 
Yeah. So that's that, that's the toughest part. Our weather is so much here in northern Iowa. It is so much like up into central Minnesota that lots of times we get the same kind of hunting or we have to wait until their birds finally move. Right. Is there any place, a guy, or, or resources that you know of where a guy – Obviously, right, there's these flyways that come down North America and they go, you know, they go from the north and then they try to go to the south. And Mm -hmm. my question to you is, do you know of any resources that a guy can go to and check out? All right, here's a big flock coming down or here's a report from this portion of the flyway or like basically a flyway report. Yeah, there are, and uh, one of the ones that I will look to is Ducks Unlimited. Okay. You can go to Waterfowl Migration, uh, Ducks Unlimited, and there are field people out there and freelance writers. That, that That's part of what they do in the fall, and, and you can actually follow that migration, and they, they send out a weekly report all across the United States. And so you can look at the Atlantic Flyway, you can look at Pacific Flyway, the Midwest Flyway, Central Flyway. You can look at each of those. Um, and and the only thing you hope is that if, if it's a field report, you hope that the local hunter that's doing this is not pulling your leg and right. that he's being honest. But your, your biologists and stuff, they are honest about that. You know, and here in Iowa, <clears throat> you can Google waterfowl, uh, migrations in Iowa and click on that and it's a PDF file that, that is under the Iowa Department of Natural Resources and so I have up in front of me on my computer right now waterfowl survey for the week of November 7th through the 18th and Iowa has designated oh about 20 places from north to south, east to west that are migration survey sites to give an example, Spirit Lake area, Ingham Lake area, Rice Lake area, Ruthven area, that's the far northern tier. So you go to that survey site, and it shows right now, this is for the week of November 7th, so it's a week behind. But they estimated in, in the Spirit Lake area there were 6,100 ducks, 44% mallards, 18% other dabblers, 38% divers and about 3,400 geese. In the Ruthven area, 2,000 ducks, 800 Canada geese. And it goes all the way down to, say, Riverton 40, which is in that southwestern corner, way down in Fremont County. And there are 37,000 ducks okay, and 1,700 uh, Canada geese. It seems like the, the movement of geese hasn't been as great as what I normally would see, but these ducks have been trickling down and through. Um, you take a look at the Coralville area. That's a big reservoir. Yep. Uh, but there are backwaters and areas to hunt there, but on Maine Coralville, there's 28,600 ducks right now. Wow. Yeah. And I tell you what, I don't uh, live too far from that, and I can tell you, after talking with a local duck hunter that we have, uh, you know, we had all that rain in late October and they had to, they, they had to basically flood everything North of Iowa city, the river that runs through Iowa city there, because if they, Mm -hmm. 
it, Iowa City would flood. And so all right. that all that marsh, all that stuff got flooded up into fields, up into everything. And he was telling yep. me this has been yep. one of the best duck hunting seasons he's ever been a part of because of that flooding. Exactly, exactly. And that's the exact same thing we were talking about um, up here in, in northwest Iowa. So, yeah, and, and you look along that that eastern side with that Mississippi River and, and the rivers that run through there, like that Coralville area and that river running through there, so tremendous hunting. And I'm sure it has not been nearly as cold down there, you know, where you're at as it has been up here in, in northwest Iowa. So a question to you, and as we talk about this this flyway, these flyways, what are the biggest or, or the most popular flyways that run through Iowa? I mean, it's not, I don't, I don't hear it like uh, Arkansas, right? <laughs> Arkansas is a, one of those states no, that it's no. just, I think the flyway is over top of the whole state when Iowa, yeah. is there little parts of Iowa that are better than others? Yeah, there are. And it depends on the time of the year. The The, the Missouri River, Oxbow is like around Sioux City and in there, with that late season that we talked about earlier, the run into late January, that can be an awesome place. That Coralville area, that that's a good flyway. That Mississippi River, you're going to have a lot of, in the backwaters, you're going to have a lot of divers and, and ducks like that. Um, like there's an area, I think it's called Green Island, and um, there's like 9,600 ducks supposedly in that area. And that's right over on the Mississippi River. Um, but really, if you want to ha- see the, a real flyway, head west about 100 miles, 150 miles, and north about 150 miles into South Dakota. Yeah. Then you're going to see a real flyway. And that flyway runs down from Canada through North Dakota and South Dakota. It's incredible. Right. It really, really is. And I think that way has shifted over the years and i'm not sure if it's the missouri river uh that has a, had part of that impact but i know that all the water that has come into south dakota with all of the flooding the lakes that are sloughs that were never lakes that are now lakes and have all these fish in them uh, they're great spots for because there's freshwater shrimp there's all the aquatic vegetation ducks love it yep and yep. and that's that's more the route they're taking. But here in here in Iowa, I I really believe this northern section is good. And I still think that up here, even though we may be frozen now, I think that there are going to be birds here. But now you got to field hunt them. Yeah, that takes a lot more work. I mean, you got to follow the birds. Right. Do they go out in the morning? Do they always go out at the same time? I was over last weekend just watching them come off of. Uh, uh, the, the Ingham Lake area, and they were mixed in with Canada's, and you can't shoot the Canada's in that refuge area, but you can shoot speckle bellies, white, uh, you know, um, snow geese, and you can shoot ducks. So these ducks are flying with the geese coming off the lake, coming off the lake, coming off the lake. They never move till 10 in the morning. Huh. And off the food to the watched, lake? Uh, off, off of the lake. To the food. Okay. All right. So we had pheasant hunted in the morning, went over there, and they just didn't want to move. Okay. Let's talk about and that a second. And lots of times when, Because okay. I, want to, I want to ask you some questions about, I guess, the daily routine as they work their way down 
the flyway, right? Um, do they eat multiple times a day or is it, let's go from food to, I, I guess, what would you call it, a bedding area where they spend most of their time, then they go back to food? How's that work? Well, I, I think um, that they spend the majority of the time on the water. Okay. Okay. And, and uh, they, they'll, or they'll be sitting on the ice, but that, that's where they'll be. And so the morning, I think it, it's not like a slough where hunters get out there and they scare them off and they go out and then they come back. Um, there's nothing that's moving them. And so they'll go when they want, but okay. you can often bet for sure there's going to be an afternoon flight. But oftentimes that afternoon flight is that last half hour, just as the sun is starting to set or maybe a half hour earlier than that. And you'll see them taken off. Right. And they'll come off the water and they'll head a certain direction. And they might go 10 miles, they might go two miles, but there becomes a pattern. And and the pattern is what they're doing that day and probably the day before. And that can change in a heartbeat. Right. Uh, the next day, they might not go to that field. They might go to the adjacent field and you can call all you want. You can have all the decoys out that you want. They're going to go to that field they now chose to go to, and nothing beats live birds. Yeah. Live decoys beat anything you've got. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, yeah. And now, if it's going to, be, if it's, if there's weather coming, uh, they they can sense barometric pressure changes and stuff like that. They'll make a move. Uh, if if there's an impending storm and it, and it's a big one, or if it's a northwester that's really coming, they might get up and even feed and boogie and leave yeah just depending upon what what their system feels but if it's just normal average every day um you know you're going to have that afternoon flight and you will have a morning but you might have to sit for a long time and i i think before you go out and try a place you better watch them yeah you, you better go within a mile or so of where they're roosting and then watch them come off See the direction. Now, wind change can make a difference, too. If the wind's a certain direction, they might be going west, going west, going west. Wind switches around. Now they're going east. Yeah. It, it just depends. All the meanwhile, working that flyway down south, you know, making that migration mm-hmm. down south. How, in, from your experience over the years, um, and I'm, I'm just curious, and I, I don't want to date you, how many years have you been duck hunting? <laughs> well, I'm 70. What, okay. what does that tell you? So I've been doing this for probably, oh, 55 years. Okay. So. The, the first first 30 years were in South Dakota where I grew up, and then I, I came to Northwest Iowa in 1978. Okay. So we've been, we've been here for 40 years. So, so you got some knowledge. From your, from your experience, how, how long do, you know, as the migration comes through, how long does a flock or a group of ducks – stick around in an area before they make that next big jump south? If you're slough hunting up here in northern Iowa, I'm going to use as an example. If it's not a refuge, they might be there a day and gone. Okay. Because there's that much hunting pressure. You know, in, in, in some areas of the country, they – discourage people from hunting every day on the water um, and, and will want them to hunt rice fields or want them to hunt corn fields or something like that 
because they'll always come back to the water. But if you shoot them off that water, they're not going to stick around. There's no place for them to feel safe. Right. So if you, if you have a refuge nearby or something like that, or a big lake, then they're going to stick. But if it's just a slough and it's a public hunting slough here in Iowa, they're going to get gunned off. You've got that day that they're, they're on their flight and maybe the next day, and they're probably gone to some place where they can be safe. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and that's why these places like the Mississippi River, like at DeSoto Bend, that's a huge refuge. You get down to Riverton, there are some areas where you can hunt. That's why those ducks build up, and that's why they stay longer. Okay. So kind of bouncing back to how, you know, you know, we're talking about how they move throughout this migration to uh, how weather can affect them. Now I want to jump into strategy. And, and you mentioned, you know, we've had a, we've had a really cold November compared to other years. And it sounds like the water in the Northern part of the state is, you know, starting to freeze up and get locked in. How does a hunting strategy change specifically when there's ice compared to when there's no ice on the water? Well, if there's ice, then you look for spots where there won't be ice. Now, it might be a river. Up here, it might be the Des Moines River, one of the two Des Moines Rivers. It might be the little, the, the big Sioux or the little Sioux, where there is a current and a, back, and a kind of a backwater that's going to stay open. Um, <clears throat> another thing you can do initially is break ice. On a spot where the ducks have been, uh, you can break ice if it's thin enough, and you can use that, and they'll come to that. Okay. They really will. When you say break um, ice, do you mean you get out there with a hammer or something and, and you just start breaking oh, it so there's a place for them to land? Yep. Yep. Wow. Yep. Or if, if you're talking, um, say it, there's just maybe a half inch of ice that came last night, and, and it just, just happened last night. You've got a pretty good wind. Uh, guys will take their boats. And they'll they'll motor their boats, and if they have a V boat, that V will kind of break up that ice, and you just kind of keep going around in a circle and open that up. Okay. And you got to get the sheets of ice pushed away because you're going to break up four, six, eight foot chunks of this half inch, three quarters inch ice. Right. Um, and so you got to get because if you don't, and the wind comes up. That ice, little ice flow is going to move and it's going to hook into your, your it's, it's going to go into your lines of your decoy strings and all of a sudden your decoy strings are, and your decoys are at the end where the wind has pushed that piece of ice. So you got to get all that floating ice out of there if you're going to be doing that. Okay. All right. So, and that's a, good, a great transition. Um, number one. Are decoys a necessity when uh, duck and goose hunting? If if a duck wants to go where it's going to go and you're there, you're going to shoot ducks. Right. Um, I, I, I'm serious. I'm, I'm not being facetious about this because if, if they have a field they're going to and you have watched and you've seen where they have gone and you go to that spot, make sure you're concealed. If, if they see you, if they see any movement, they're not going to come in. And when, when you're field hunting, those ducks will circle. 
and circle and circle and circle. And I'm not exaggerating. They circle and they, they come down and then they go out and they bank and they come back around and they're wary. They're just looking and looking and looking and looking and to get them to land in your face is very, very, very difficult. Most of the time it's going to be a, a, a shot where they're either passing by and you know they've about given up or, I mean, they're very, very wary. So you have to really, uh, if you're in a cornfield and you've got the, the corn stalks and you've got a layout blind that you can get in that looks exactly like the corn stalks, you're good to go. Gotcha. But if you're, and, and if you happen to be in a, uh, say you're hunting on a snow day and, and the ground is white, don't go out there in your camel. Not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> you have to wear white. I'm serious. If you're in black chiseled, you better be mostly black and brown and, you know, mostly black. Yeah. Because that color difference. And they may never flare. They just may not quite make it and just slide off to the side or slide off to the next field or the next section. Right. Okay. So that's that, that's really important. Okay. So now – um, with, with everything we've kind of talked about as far as just how, how these birds are coming down, how, what they're doing throughout their day. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, some, you know, we just talked about some decoys and, and how to get them, you know, whether there's ice or not ice, does the strategy change depending on if you're hunting geese compared to ducks? Yes, I think so. Um, Canada geese, is, but wait, let's let's work. One of the geese you might get a chance at is the snow goose. Okay, and uh, there there are so many of those, and they will come through late. They will most likely run the, the river uh, to the west, but in the spring they come back, and we'll talk about this for a second too. And you have a spring snow goose season. And that's the best chance to get snow geese as they come back from the south. And they'll, they'll push their way as far north as they can to the snow line. And so it might be, they might be in Missouri or Kansas, and then they might be in Missouri. And then they might hop up into southern um, Iowa. Um, and, and they could just come through in hordes, just thousands of them. And so that's probably the best time to shoot snow geese. And at that point in the in the year, there, there's no limit or anything on the snow geese um, because there are so many and they want to keep, get the numbers down. But unfortunately, lots of times the ones you shoot are the immature or the young ones. And the old smarter ones send the young one down to see what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> and so in the, the mature ones... Um, some people call them flying carp. I think that's kind of a, a sad thing to call them. But uh, um, people just don't hunt the snow geese like they can. But if you want to, uh, that spring is, is a perfect. Now, as far as Canada geese, you know, we have a lot of resident flocks of Canada geese. Right. And probably the best place to hunt these is where you can't hunt, like golf courses. <laughs> in the city, in the cities, in the pond. You take a look. You you go through these these towns, 
that have golf courses and a pond, they have more trouble with goose droppings. Oh man! On 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 their fine greens and stuff like that, they have all kinds of problems, and that's why you will have some actually urban goose hunting early in the season in Des Moines and different places to get them out. Yeah, because they are such a nuisance. I tell you, I and, worked on uh, I, I worked on the south side of Cedar Rapids um, in this like industrial division type area for many years before my company moved, uh, the company I worked for moved to downtown Cedar Rapids and there were hundreds, no, no, excuse me, thousands of geese on this open body of water because it had a fountain in it that kept the water from freezing, like a circulation thing. <laughs> yep. And there was goose yep. droppings all over the parking lots, all over the the lake, the walkways. It was nasty. Yes. Yes. I, it's, yes, I totally agree with you. (laughs) And, and, um, but but the thing about them, the local geese is you could get them early and, uh, but they wise up quickly. Right. Um, the thing about the goose, they, they, they don't, circle as many times they might give it a one-time look and maybe then come otherwise they won't and and uh so you're going to either get them or you're not going to get them right and lots of times they'll be quiet you won't hear a thing uh sometimes they can act really dumb and you can be sitting in standing corn and have decoys out about 40 yards and they'll come right in other times They'll look at that and go, really? Right. No, not near standing corn. I'm not going to land there. Yeah. So it just kind of kind of depends, you know. But um, so some of the some of the best uh, Canada goose hunting I've had ha- has been in fields, um, not on the water. Although some guys really do well on water, but in fields using uh, full body decoys and. Uh, if if you have good stubble, good corn, uh, you could get into your layout blinds and either get off to the side or away because those wary eyes will pick you out. Yeah. Um, but um, so I I don't know I I find the ducks as they swing more to be more wary um, that way, but geese can be naturally wary. And if it's not in a place where they think they should be, they're not going to land. Gotcha. This this came into my brain while you were talking, and I I've been thinking a lot about lately about memories and um, you know all the time I put into actually deer hunting. Uh, this year I shot my biggest buck ever, and I I just kind of as I'm thinking about that hunt, I go back and I start thinking about all the other hunts that I've been either successful or not successful on. Is there, is there a tip, you know, you've been hunting so many years. Is there a, a a tip or a trick that over the years has just worked for you time and time and time again to the point where it's like, you almost don't want to do it anymore because you want to try to find a new way to kill them. No. No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There's the answer. (laughs) If if you're a diehard waterfowler, you can't wait till the next time. Right. You just can't. They come in. When ducks lock up and they come in, wings spread, legs down, head 
right at you. That's as big a rush as I think you can get. It's yeah. just incredible. One thing we did do, we, we had a time where we shot a lot of Canada geese on, on uh, fields. Yep. And so we, we would have some standing corn back away and we would put a camera and we'd videotape it. But the first time we did that was the second day we were hunting on this weekend. And the first day we really shot them and we knew they were going to be there again. And the first group came and they slid and they didn't come in. And the next group came and they slid and they didn't come in. And we looked around and looked back and in that cornfield, you could see the red light from that camera. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, (laughs) it is. It's probably the last time. What'd you do next time? You probably put a piece of tape over it. Hey, yeah, the next time we didn't, we decided that was bad luck, so we didn't tape it anymore. <laughs> there you go. All right, so now I want you know, out of all the years you've been, um, you've been uh, duck hunting. Do you have a memory or a um, a duck hunting moment that sticks out in your brain that is like one of your favorite all time moments or memories? Well, I'll, I'll, the first time I ever decoy hunted out of a boat, okay, I was with, with, with my father-in-law, and he he was my future father-in-law at that time, and and I was dating his daughter. So this is in the and, what, uh, late late seventies. So that oh gosh no, it's earlier than that. This okay. would have been um, probably late sixties. Okay, and we were on a slough. It's the first time I've ever been out there, and and we're. we're Nestled all into the end of the reeds, and the wind is blowing, and the, and the decoys are moving back and forth. All of a sudden, from way up high, my father-in-law says, "Here they come!" And I looked, and it was a tornado. They were just circling down, funneling down, and say, "Oh my gosh!" They were greenheads, and it was just so <laughs> awesome. And and they're out there, and they look so big. And I went to shoot, and Elvin said, "No, no." Sit down. They're too far out yet. Well, they were probably 90 yards out yet. Yeah. But to me, my gosh, they were big. And it, I tried to get up two more times to shoot. And he kept saying, no, wait, 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 wait. That's when I learned, in, you know, it, you want to get them in that really good kill zone. Right. And that's that 30 to 40 yards at, at the most. I mean, that's prime right there. And so that was that was awesome and i guess probably the other my my son was he's 42 now but he was two years old and he wanted to go duck hunting it was a flooded field and i took him i i walked in in my waders and he was on my shoulders and i set him back a little ways and kind of up on a corn rope where he wasn't going to get totally wet and those mallards came in. And when he came home, he had to tell his mother about every duck that was shot and how they came in. And he'd go, Mom, 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 you should see. If they, they came in, you should, you know. And it was just, to me, that that's priceless. That's that is just priceless. Right. But, I, but, but I, can, I can look, I can just close my eyes, and I can, I can see hunts yeah. that I've had. 
Yeah. And and it's right there. Just like you with your deer, yep. you can see the movement. Oh, it's just awesome. Awesome. The only thing is, you know, at age 70, I'm finding I don't have the strength that I used to have to to move around in the sloughs like I used to be able to 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 row in the in the sloughs to be able to walk in in that stuff. Um I I have to rely on my son or somebody younger to do it. And, and that's kind of just a little, a little tap on the shoulder saying you, you better do it while you can. Cause Absolutely. there isn't a lot of time left. Absolutely. That's a, that's a good realization too. is take advantage of every, every moment in life because you never know, Exactly. you know, no, you really don't. Every day has got to be awesome. Yep. Absolutely. Every, every breath, you know? Yeah. And, okay. and there are, we have lots of issues and stuff, but still, that that's that's the point of life yep. is to enjoy the experiences we have. Absolutely. All right. So my last question for you is, you know, again, over all the years of duck hunting, right? You have these. You shoot a duck and it's got a band on it, right? And these bands, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a whole bunch of information that goes with these bands. What is one of the rarest or most unique bands? Or you know, because because every band kind of tells a story. What uh, yeah, it does. what um, is the most unique uh, band that you've ever shot on a duck? Oh golly, I really <laughs> I'm kind of a, a lot of the geese that I have shot. Um, they they weren't unique. They were banded. Um, at, at Ruthven or they were banded at Ingham Lake or that type of thing. I, right. I really don't have a huge story of wow or anything like that. No, I, I really don't. I wish I, I did, but there's, I don't have one of those unusual ones. Probably the, the one duck that, um, we shot that is most unusual for here was a black duck. Okay. And they're, they're usually on the coast. And so how it got into this flyway, I don't know, but, but that's, that's probably as uh, different, I think, as I guess I could, I could mention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it's, it's all cool stories and, and, um, and memories and that's really what it's all about. So, you know what? Uh, Steve, man, I, I really appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast again. And, yeah. uh, it's not going to be the last I, time. I, I, I do have one last story though. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, had to do with black plastic. Okay. Okay, and we had a pond that we was dry, and it was dry in a lot of places. A lot of the little sloughs were all dried up, and I took the black plastic that you would use to cover silage. Okay. That big, black, shiny stuff, and. I made sure that the, the basin of this little slough was totally flat, so there was no, no weeds, no sticks sticking up or anything like that. And I dug a trench, and we put in that black plastic and then covered the edges up so that the wind wouldn't blow it. And I have some decoys that have, uh, don't have a keel. They're a flat. And I put them out there. And we put one of our little spinners, RoboDucks, out there. And we decoyed ducks. And they, because they thought that plastic was water. Mm hmm. 
And I can remember did you work? before. Did work? Oh gosh, yes, yeah, not as great, but I, I think that day that we did that, we probably had seven or eight ducks, where with just black land, uh, a dry bed, we would have had nothing. Right. The only thing I will say that if you leave it out too long in the fall, you're going to have enough dew and frost and wind blowing and dirt getting on it and then drying that it loses its sheen. It's the sheen. If right. you look from a distance, it looks like sparkling water. It really does. But it's got to have that really shiny black sheen. Okay. There's a there's a so, trick you don't but, hear every day. No, you really don't. And, and I had talked to a guy who had done that using uh, plastic on ice. Okay. And had 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 some success. And I, I talked to him. I said, why couldn't you do that on a, on a dry slew bed if there is some other water around so there are some ducks? And it did work. So, so some of the ducks didn't flare. They just kind of sidled away. But, but we ha- I had one I can remember. It was right before sunrise. It was just getting light. And here came a teal. And this little teal, he zinged in. And he landed. He put his feet down and wings back to land. <laughs> and he, he did a somersault. <laughs> because he, he hit the dirt and he got up very indignant and shook his tail and flew away. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, perfect. Yeah. All right, Steve. Well, again, thank you very much for hopping on. And uh, until next time. You bet. Sounds good, Dan. Thank you.